Bibles with you, the book of Colossians chapter 4. If you don't, rest assured it's going to be on the screen. I do want to say I'm so thankful uh, to be here, and I just want to take a moment. Uh, Pastor Josh has been updating me throughout the, the building processes, but pictures and videos just don't really do it justice at how amazing this place looks. I feel like the Queen of Sheba when she went and visited Solomon. The Bible says, that it took her breath away, and she made this declaration, the half has not been told. As soon as I got out of the car just to see the excellence and everything, the attention to detail, you guys are so blessed. This place looks amazing. Is anybody thankful to be back in the worship center? Amen. And I told my wife when I first started preaching here on a Sunday, uh, it was actually before I was married, so it's probably been about seven or eight years. And I told Summer, I said, here's how amazing God has been to this church. When I first came on a Sunday, this is about maybe the size of the crowd was on a Sunday. And this is now the size of the crowd on a first Wednesday. God has been so faithful to this church. And I am so honored to be back here. I don't want to start naming too many names because so many people here tonight mean so much to me, but I just give honor to this church, and I give honor to some of our most precious friends in the whole world, Pastor Josh and Sister Tiffany. I love you and their family so much, so so thankful for them and their influence on my life. Uh, and I haven't preached here since last December, and I was Pastor Josh, and it's not Pastor Josh's fault. He's reached out to me several times, but just kind of the way the year worked out. But I'm thankful I get to be here and just keep this streak alive. Amen. Colossians chapter 4. Give honor to my pastor. Love him. Thankful he allowed me to be here tonight and give honor to my wife who still wants to be married to me. And give honor to her. I love her and so thankful that Oliver, our son, is with us. He'll be two on Friday. I don't know how I have a two-year-old, but here we are. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 5. Everybody say, I got it. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, without the gospel, redeeming the time. And then he says this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you may ought, that you know how you ought to answer every man. Paul said, you need to walk in wisdom to them that are without God and without the gospel, redeeming the time, because the time is so precious. And he says, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that what you say, it's always with grace and it's seasoned with salt. That you know how to answer every man. Paul is teaching us that our speech should always be graceful and it should always be tasteful. Our speech should be saturated with grace and with seasoning, he said. Now, we live in South Louisiana. We know about seasoning. And you know when somebody doesn't know about seasoning when you eat their food. And the truth of the matter is nobody cooks like people in South Louisiana. Whether it's gumbo, jambalaya, etouffee, crawfish, rice and gravy, you can name it. Anybody hungry tonight? 
I'm hungry tonight, and that sounds amazing. But I want to talk to you for the next few moments from this subject. Season speech. Turn to somebody and say, let your speech be seasoned. One more time, if we could lift up our hands together and lift up our voices. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I honor you tonight. It's such an honor to be in your presence with your people. God, I pray a special blessing upon your people. God, I pray a refreshing. God, I know that they have labored tirelessly, God, over the last two years. God, I'm just asking right now that Acts 3.17 would come to pass and there would be a time of refreshing that would come from the presence of the Lord. I pray a special blessing on every leader, upon every saint tonight, God. Speak to us. Let your word help us and enrich us and challenge us and change us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. Give three people a high five and you may be seated. In our opening text, we see that Paul is instructing us that God does not want our speech, what we say, to be bland. He wants it to be flavored with the goodness of his grace and the richness of his word. And I believe it's not an accident that Paul instructed us that our speech should be full of both grace and seasoning by way of salt. Salt not only enriches the flavor of something, but it's also a preserver. And salt changes everything that it meets. You can tell instantly when you eat something if there's not enough salt. And you can tell instantly when you eat something if someone has put too much salt. Can I get a witness? Anybody ever witnessed that? And it's no accident that Jesus told us to be salt and light in the world. I believe this is instructing us. A light shines with no noise. It just shines and illuminates in the darkness. So Jesus told us to be a light, but he also told us to be salt in the world. Salt comes to, I believe, what we say, because what we say is important, and how we say it is important. I'm reminded of a story of a husband whose wife left him in charge of watching his mother-in-law and her dog while she went to the town to run errands. The wife instructed this husband, she said, babe, I've got to go into town and run some errands. I'm asking you, please, keep a close eye on my mother and keep a close eye on my dog. When the wife got home, she noticed that the dog was missing, and she asked her husband, where is the dog? The husband, with no thought at all, said, the dog died. What? The wife replied. She said, I can't believe you can just blurt it out like that. She said, why? Why can't you be a little more sympathetic? You could have softened up your words a little bit by saying, well, the dog was on the roof, and he slipped off the roof and died. And, babe, I did everything I could to save it, uh, but he didn't make it. And after the man's wife recovered her emotions for a little bit, she says, where is my mother? The husband thought for a moment and said, well, your mom was on the roof. <laughs> I'm teasing, but the point is to illustrate that it doesn't just matter what you say, but it also matters how you say it. The Bible opens up like this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and here it is, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light, 
from the darkness. Now consider this situation, if you will. In the very beginning, God is present. His creation is present, but in the midst of the presence of God and in the midst of His creation, there was darkness, there was voidness, there was chaos, there was confusion, and there was waste. But two things happened. Number one, the Spirit of God moved. And number two, God began to speak. And the first time God speaks in the Bible, He says, let there be light. And if you were to look at it in the Hebrew, this is the same Hebrew word in Exodus chapter 3 when God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go and tell him the I am that I am has sent you. The same Hebrew word, Hayah, is the I am that I am. And it's also the phrase that God uses when he says, let there be light. So when God was saying, let there be light, what he was literally declaring is, I am light. And upon that declaration, when God said, I am light, that's when light shined into the world and it filled the earth. Now, here's what's interesting. God was light before that declaration. But it was something about God declaring the truth about who he was that caused something to happen. And when the voice of God declared the truth of who he was, the light overtook the darkness because God spoke and then he saw what he spoke. Prior to him utilizing his voice, there was darkness and chaos and, and everything that was affecting the creation. But yet he spoke. During the darkness, God spoke. In the midst of the chaos, God spoke. And when he spoke, it affected the surroundings. Which leads me to ask us today, what are we speaking to the chaos and in the chaos? God did not wait for an ideal situation to declare a truth about who he was. But he said, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the confusion, I'm just going to release a truth about who I am, and I am light. And upon that declaration, the whole world stood at attention, and all of a sudden the chaos subsided, and the darkness subsided. Because when you release a truth about God, it affects the atmosphere. So we must ask ourselves tonight, is my speech seasoned by the salt of the scripture? Is my speech seasoned by the spirit? We must understand that our voices, they are vehicles. And they are carrying and transporting messages. And so we must decide, is my voice going to be another vehicle for negativity? Is my voice going to add to the choir voices of pessimism and hopelessness? I say no tonight because the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 18 and 21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Gary Chapman said it like this, our words are either going to be bullets or seeds because they're either going to go and produce death or they're going to go and produce life. And I believe it's no accident that in Proverbs 18, Solomon lists death first because I believe it is the natural uh, inclination for a human to speak death and to speak negative. That's why bad news travels so fast. But I have made up my mind tonight that I don't want to be with the number that submits my voice to the voice of negativity. As Dr. Tony Evans says, I want God to be the Lord of my life and the Lord of my lips. I want to echo the truth of who God is and what God is doing. I'm not naive to everything that's going on, but I choose to speak life. I choose to speak I choose I choose to speak hope. I choose to speak encouragement. I want to be an echo of the scripture. And God is going to work it out. It's easy to slip into 
the number that says, well, look at everything that's going on. It's easy. It's easy as some people say, I'm just going to tell it like it is. It doesn't require a lot of faith to tell it like it is. You can just use the natural eye to tell it like it is. But I believe the Bible tells us that we don't just, we don't walk by faith. Or we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. But I believe that should also affect how we speak. That I don't just speak by sight, but I speak by faith. No matter what the enemy is telling me about my family, I'm going to speak life. And I'm going to speak the promises of God. I'm not going to succumb to a victim mentality. I believe God is faithful and God is true and is going to do everything he told me he would do. So I will lift up my voice irrespective of my surroundings and I will declare God is on the throne. The church is alive and well. My family is going to prosper. Our church is going to have a revival. Our country is going to have a revival. It doesn't matter what's going on. God is going to bless the river because my speech is going to be seasoned and it's going to season the atmosphere. Somebody should just lift up your hands right now and just go ahead and release it. My family is going to be saved. My kids are going to come back. I don't care what the enemy says. He's not in control of my life. But my speech is is going to echo the Bible I read and the God I serve. And when God is in the picture, it's never over. You see, I can understand why someone who doesn't know Jesus can speak fear and worry. But my question tonight is if we have been baptized in the precious name of Jesus and we are filled with his spirit, may we not be carriers of fear and anxiety and worry and stress. God does not speak that way. His word does not speak that way. And his spirit does not speak that way. So we as his people should not speak that way. But what affects our speech is the things that we allow to speak into our lives. Because the voice we release is directly connected to the voice we receive. I have to hurry. There have been numerous studies, and I'm going to go through this fast, but there have been numerous studies shown that for a child's ability to speak, it is directly connected to his ability to hear. And what a child hears in the very early stages of his life is going to be instrumental in the development of his ability to speak because you cannot separate the impact that hearing has on speaking for a child. And likewise, as children of God, what we hear, it affects our speech. And so if we consistently take in a diet of negative things and negative news and negative people, what's going to happen is it's going to spew out of our life. Two of the biggest lies that we've ever been told is sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. That is not true. Number two, a second lie that we've been told is I will let it go in one ear and out the other. That is not true because somewhere in the middle of the ears it gets hung up in the memory. That's why some of us were still impacted over things that family members have told us and people that have been hurtful to us And because what you receive is going to affect what you release. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice Faith does not just come by hearing. You have to hear the right thing. You have to hear the word of God. That is why it is essential to spend time every day in the word of God. But here's what I want you to notice. It does not say you only get faith by reading the Bible. It says you get faith 
by hearing the word of God. That means you and I who have the word in our hearts, we can release that word into somebody's life and they may never read a Bible, but when we speak the word, they can get faith. You can speak the word to somebody on your job who was on suicide watch and all of a sudden they say, I don't know what it is about what you just told me, but it affects me. You know what happens? You're releasing a truth about who God is in the chaos in the darkness and when you release the light it overpowers the darkness I wish somebody would just lift up your hands right now and say, I'm going to release the truth of who God is. I'm going to release that God is for me and that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because God said it will not prosper. That's when Jesus and the gospel spends so much time speaking about guarding what we hear and guarding what we say. He said it like this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. He that, had, that has ears to hear, let him hear. He didn't say he that has ears. That's, that's all of us. But he said you got to have ears to hear. He goes on to say in Revelation chapter 2, because Matthew was pre the outpouring of the Spirit. But in Revelation chapter 2, after the Spirit has been outpoured, he gives very specific instruction about what we are to hear. He said, he that had an, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I made up my mind. I want the voice of the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaking into my life. I know all the news outlets and I know all the negative people and I know all the bitter people are saying what they want to say. But I want to know what is God saying? What are the promises of the Word of God? God saying, what is my pastor declaring over our church? What is the Spirit saying in my private prayer time? I have a voice and I have a choice. And I'm deciding not everything deserves an audience with my ears. As a child of God, there's some things I'm not going to listen to because what I receive affects what I release. And I want to make sure I'm releasing hope into this world. I want to make sure I'm releasing light into this world. I want the people that I go to work with and go to school with to know that Jesus loves them and it's not over. We must guard the voices we receive because it affects the voice that we release. I want to hear the right voice, and I want to release the right voice. There's something supernatural that God has designed about the power of our voices. My voice is my choice, and I'm going to choose to speak to all that hears. Jesus loves you, and Jesus can save you, and Jesus can deliver you. I will not add to the number that's telling people they're bound by generational curses. No, I serve a God that can break generational curses. I'm not going to add to the number that tells people well, your family was like that, so you got to be like that. Oh, no. I believe there was a man who was hung on a tree that can step into any family tree and he can break the chain and he can undo the curse and he can loose the fetters and he can make you sober and he can deliver you of an addiction. He can put a marriage back together. He can reach down to the prodigal. I'm telling you as long as somebody has a heart beating in their chest, it's not over because God is able. I've just come tonight with a simple word to somebody. Don't believe the lies. Believe the truth and release it. Somebody say, I believe God. I believe God. In Matthew chapter 26, the apostle Peter, you know, the great man of God who stood on the day of Pentecost and said, 
Repent and be baptized. The one who the Bible says, when his shadow passed by somebody in the book of Acts, it healed somebody. This same man in Matthew chapter 26 was denying that he was a disciple. And the onlookers were so fierce to associate him with Jesus. But Peter was saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I have nothing to do with him. But they said something in Matthew 26 and 73. And I want you to notice it with me tonight. It says, after a while they came to him and stood by and they said to Peter, surely you are one of the disciples because your speech bereath thee. When Peter tried to deny that he was a disciple, they said in Matthew 26 and 73, oh yes, we know that you are a disciple because your speech bereath thee. The word bereath in the Greek means to be make manifest or to be the evidence or to make something clear. Here's what the onlookers were saying. You're trying to deny that you're a disciple, but there's something about your speech that lets us know you are a disciple. You can try to camouflage it. You can try to mask it, but there's something about your voice, Peter, that lets me know you are a disciple. So I have to ask myself the question, is the way that I speak identifying me as a disciple? Can people hear hear me speak and say, oh yes, that must be a disciple of Jesus Christ because someone doesn't talk like that unless they know who Jesus is. I want people to be able to identify me as a disciple more than just the clothes I wear and the church I attend, but I want when they hear me speak to say, oh yeah, that's a disciple. There's something about him. He always believes that it's not over. He always believes that somebody can turn it around. I want people to be able to say, Pastor Josh, that is a disciple because his speech is the evidence. But that doesn't happen unless your speech is seasoned with the Spirit and with the Word. Then Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. He said, oh, generation of vipers. He said, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, we learn in the Old Testament that man cannot look on the heart, only God looks on the heart. But in the New Testament, Jesus gives us revelation. And he says, yes, you cannot see a person's heart, but you can see what's in a person's heart but by what is coming out of their mouth. He said what comes out of a person's mouth, that lets them know what's in their heart. And that's why I'm very thankful. And if you slipped up today, you can repent, and God can forgive you. But before I got in the church, I, I had a potty mouth. But when I got the Holy Ghost, I can tell you people have cut me off in traffic. I've stepped on toys late at night. I've stepped my toe on the end of the door. But not one time has a swear word slipped out. You know why? Because I got it out of my heart. And if it's not in your heart, it won't come out of your mouth. And I tell our young people, they say, oh, I slipped up. I said, no, you didn't slip up. You got to get something out of your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The mouth is the evidence of what kind of heart we have. I want to know that my heart is in love with Jesus. And you may not can see it, but you can hear it by what I talk about. I want people to know he's a disciple and he has the heart of Jesus. And you can tell by his speech. John chapter 1, watch this. Here's the power of a voice. And this is why we have to let our speech be always full of grace and season with salt. Watch this, John chapter 1 and verse number 29. The next day, John 
See, if Jesus, you got to see this coming out to him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus is walking by, and John the Baptist is releasing the truth about who God is into the atmosphere. And you know what? Nothing. You ever been there before? You pray it, you believe it, you claim it, and nothing happens. It's happened to me, Brother Carbo. His laugh is the witness that has happened to him, too. You pray, my, God, my child's coming back. Then you get to church Sunday, they're still not there. So what do you do when you release the truth about who God is and nothing happens like it did for John? Well, you do what John did. Because the Bible says, again, the next day, verse 35, John stood and two of his disciples, and he saw Jesus again. So you know what he did? He said, I know it didn't work last time, but I know this is the right thing to do. So I'm going to declare it again. That's Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But something happened this time. When you get enough faith to do it again, this is what happened this time. Verse 37. And the two disciples that were with him, they heard him speak. And you know what they said? There's something about John. The way he talks about Jesus, I don't know Jesus. But it makes me want to follow Jesus. So I've got to ask myself the question. Is the way that I talk about him making people say, I want to follow that God. I want to serve that God. I want to talk about Jesus in such a way that people that don't even know him say, look, I don't know him, but I want to follow him. One man releasing one truth about Jesus so affected two men that they said, simply off John's declaration, I want to be a disciple. No Bible study, no church service, no altar call. Just one man saying, oh, I know who that is. That's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because there's something, there's something about our voices, their vehicles, and they carry a message. And I want to make sure that everybody that hears the sound of my voice knows that he's still Jesus, the Lamb of God that can take away the sins of the world. He's still Jesus, the Lamb of God that's willing to partner and use anybody. He's still Jesus, the Lamb of God that loves every drug addict. He's still Jesus, the Lamb of God. I don't want to get so high and mighty that I'm above just releasing a simple truth about who he is. I want to speak about him in such a way that my voice causes people to turn to him. In Matthew chapter 4, I'm hurrying. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, the Bible says he's full of the spirit. He's led into the wilderness and the devil shows up. Because even people on a 40-day fast, full of the spirit, led by the spirit, still got to deal with the enemy. But the Bible says the enemy came and tempted Jesus. And I love the way Jesus responded. Because here's what he could have did. He could have snapped his fingers and made him disappear. He could have summoned the angels and made, him, made them carry him away. But he did none of that. But here's what Jesus did to deal with the enemy. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, in verse number 4, this is how he dealt with it. I'm going to skip through it with a shame. He said, it is written. Then he goes in verse number 7, because the enemy's still there. You know what Jesus was doing? 
He was releasing a truth about who he was and about what his word says. And the first time he did it, nothing happened. But the Bible says in verse 7, he said to him, it is written again. Then it goes down the last time and says in verse number 10, the third time, he said to Satan, it is written. And then finally, something shifted in verse number 11. Because when Jesus made a declaration about who he was and what the word of God already says. Now notice, he was not looking for a new word in that moment. He was not looking for a new promise in that moment. All Jesus did was look at the enemy and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to declare what's already been written. Because the Bible is not just meant to be read. It's meant to be released into the atmosphere. And so Jesus dealt with the enemy like this. I'm going to repeat what's already been written. And here's why I love that so much. Because if he would have snapped his fingers and made the devil disappear, that's really cool and everything, and that would be a flex, but we can't do that. If you would have called the angels and said, take him out of here, that also would be a flex, but we can't do that. But he did something that we can imitate. Because we deal with the same enemy, but we also have access to the same promises. And we can still say, it is written. I'm not looking for a new way to defeat an old enemy. I'm going to do the same thing Jesus did. I'm going to release the word of God. I want you to stand through your feet and throw your hands in the air for just a moment. Some of you, the enemy's been lying to you, and you're almost at the place where you believe him. But God has sent me here tonight with a simple word. The devil is a liar. He cannot speak the truth. But the Bible says that God is the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody lift up your voice for just a moment and declare it is written. Come on, it is written. It is written. It is written. The Bible says the enemy cannot tell the truth. It's not in him. So you should take it as a sign. Whatever he's telling you, the opposite must be true. Because he can't tell the truth. I'm going to believe God. Because the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent. The book of Hebrews says it like this. It is impossible for God to lie. I close with this. I got to hurry. I've never preached this. I didn't want to preach this tonight. Like all day today, I'm always in prayer. I'm sitting there, man, God, give me some groundbreaking word. I never preach a groundbreaking word, but I thought tonight would be the first night to try, you know. Just the way that I am. I'm just a simple, tries to preach an applicable message. But all day I feel like somebody needs hope and somebody needs to get their voice back and somebody needs to take the muzzle off and somebody needs to realize that he is a liar and he has no power over you. It is written. It's already been settled. It's already been declared. You just have to release it the way Jesus did because the Bible says when Jesus released it, the enemy left and angels showed up to minister to him because the release word of God has the power to evict the enemy and invite the supernatural. It can change your situations. You just got to get the word of God and release it in Genesis chapter 11 I'm going to hurry 
In Genesis chapter 11, we read this as a negative story when they were building the Tower of Babel. But here's what the Bible literally says in verse 1. And the whole earth was, one of, was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed, they came to the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, go, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, we're going to build a city and a tower who's going to reach up to God. And the Bible says in verse number 5 that the Lord came down to see the city. And he saw the tower that they were building. And this is what he said in verse 6. Now they were doing it for the wrong reasons. But this shows you the power of unified speech. The Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language. And what they're doing now, nothing is going to be able to stop them. He said, Because the people had gotten their speech, and they got it in unity. And God said, The only way that I'm going to be able to halt what they're building is I've got to divide their speech. Because as long as people come together in what they're saying, nothing is impossible. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. This is my last verse. I have more stories and more to preach, but I feel God wanting to help somebody right now. This is what he says, and this is what I felt to share this church. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Why? That there be no divisions among you. And you can be perfectly joined together. And when you're perfectly joined together, the Bible says in one place, you're like a house fitly framed. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to grow. But here was my question. I said, God, how can people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different ages, Pastor, how can we all speak the same thing? And the Lord spoke to me and said, well, that's easy. When the source of your speech is the same, you can all speak the same thing. He said, here's what I want you to tell my people, Drew. If their speech will be seasoned by my word and by my spirit, it doesn't matter where you come from. We're all saying the same thing. And we all get our speech seasoned by the Spirit and get our speech seasoned by the Scriptures. And we all start declaring what the Word of God says and what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church. It doesn't matter where we come from. We're all speaking the same thing. And we're all coming into the unity of speech. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing shall be impossible. So you know what that tells me? We should be speaking to each other. I'm believing for your family. You're believing for my family. I believe your son is not too far gone, just like you believe my daughter's not too far gone. Pastor, you're not the only one that believes 700's not the final number. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to speak it. Because when I spend time with God in prayer and I spend time in His Word, it affects what I said. The, the singers can come. James said, The tongue is an unruly member. No man can tame. He said, It's like a rudder on a ship. It's a little member that can set a lot of things on fire. He said, No man can tame the tongue. 
But Jesus, knowing all things, he said, I'll tell you what the initial evidence of somebody receiving my spirit's going to be, that I did tame the tongue because they're going to speak in another tongue. That's going to be the initial evidence that somebody has received the spirit of God. They speak in another tongue because here is the principle. The spirit should change how we talk. And it's not just to talk in tongues. I'm glad that we speak in tongues. That's a Bible principle. But I want to know that the speech changes my future conversations. Because the initial evidence that you receive the Holy Ghost is you speak in tongues. But the conclusive evidence that you still got the Holy Ghost is you have the fruit of the Spirit. I want the Spirit to take away the negativity. I want the Spirit to take away the gossip. And I want to speak love and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and kindness. I want every hand to be lifted right now. We're going to come in just a moment and pray for each other. But right now, I want us to lift our voices. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray and I release I release the angels of the Lord now and minister to your people, God. Let your word confirm your word with signs following. God, I pray right now for weary people. I pray for tired people, God. I come against every lie of the enemy. And I pray that your truth would reign supreme right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody lift up your hands and receive it right now. God is going to help you right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, we're going to speak the same thing. We're going to speak the same thing. Let our speech be seasoned by the richness of His Spirit and by the truth of His Word. We're going to-